All right, well, it's a pleasure to see you all this morning, some, some new faces, uh, and, and if you're watching online, I'm just so happy that, that you're here. Uh, my name is Landon. I was voted in last week as the minister, so I'm super happy to start this journey. Um, if, you're, if you're joining us for the first time, we're in the middle of a, a question series, uh, where basically what we're, who, see? Yeah. On cue. John is so good. So basically what we did several weeks ago is, is I asked people to fill out questions on little cards and had them send them back in. We're doing the top four questions that were asked. So we've already covered living in full of truth and full of grace and the issue with homosexuality in the church. Uh, we've talked about why bad seasons happen, why bad things happen to, to good people. And today we're going to talk again about a question that people have been asking for a really long time. Uh, this question has been asked like longer than Christianity has been around, people have begun asking some of these questions, even regarding different faiths and different scriptures and that kind of thing. Um, and, and we're just going to look at scripture. We're going to see what scripture has to say about this issue. Um, we've seen this in, in, in the Bible and some of the things we've read. Uh, the enemy knows the word of God, and he's going to use it to twist it and try and confuse us. Uh, we saw it when he was tempting Jesus. Jesus, he was tempted by the word of God being twisted around to mean something that it didn't mean. You saw it at the beginning of time with the enemy. The enemy's sneaking around like a little snake. He turns around and he says, wait, did God really say this? And so he's, he tries to use this. But what we're going to do is we're going to trust the authority that it has. We're going to read it the correct way. We're not going to twist it and take it out of context. And this is what we have to do for every situation, every question, every scenario in our life is look at what Scripture has to say about it in the correct way. Um, this question is usually presented as a scenario, and it's usually presented as someone who is maybe trying to trip you up, uh, trying to make you rethink things, make, trying to make you think about uh, if, if you actually know what you're talking about. And the question is usually presented like this. There's a man on an island. Uh, the man has been alone his whole life. He, he, there's no one else there. He has no Bible. He has no resources. He has no phone. He has nothing. Uh, he dies. Does he go to heaven or does he go to hell if he's never heard the gospel? Does he go to heaven or does he go to hell if he's never heard about Jesus? Um, and, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. Today's message is entitled Plan A, if you're taking notes. If you don't take notes, today would be a really good day to start because there's, this is a really important uh, topic for us to talk about. Plan A is what we're talking about today. Uh, and we're going to be in lots of scripture, but I'm going to only make you turn to three passages. Romans 10, Romans 1 and John 14. Romans 10, Romans 1, and John 14. <laughs> I'm sure that today there's going to be some difficulty in this conversation. Uh, there's going to be some hard verses. We're going to talk about some difficult scenarios. Um, and so the first and foremost thing that we need to have down is, is that God's character throughout history, throughout you know, e eternity, he, will, he has always been just, He is just now, and He will continue to be just. So we need to make sure that the rest of this message, that the rest of what we're focusing on is God's justice. He will never bend justice. In Isaiah 61, it says, I, the Lord, love justice. It's a part of his character, meaning he can't do anything but be just. Everything that he does, every step that he takes, every move that he makes is filled with justice. It can't be anything but it. And then another verse in Job, Job 34 says he can't do wrong. It actually says he won't bend justice, meaning 
it will always be there. No matter what, God, because of his character, will act justly. And so in the hard times and the difficult conversations and the verses we're going to read today, we need to reflect on that part of God. We need to reflect on the fact that he is always just. That means he's going to stick to his word. It means what he says in scripture sticks. It matters. But it also means anything that is unjust won't happen in the presence of God because that's who he is. He is just. So if you want to go ahead and turn to that first passage, John 14, 6. John 14, 6. This is a passage that undoubtedly you've heard before if you've been in church. Uh, you've, you've probably read it before, but we're going to really focus on it. John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We need to really understand what this verse is saying. Like, we need to break it down and make it, it's already pretty simple, but as simple as it possibly can be. The only way to enter eternity with God, the only way is through belief in Jesus, belief and relationship in Jesus. We know John 3, 16, we can all quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him, it's all about a belief in Jesus. That's the way that you can enter eternity with God, is having a belief in Jesus. Even in the Old Testament, if you're, here, this is a quick plug. On Sunday nights, we're kind of having it in, in a discussion style type thing. Uh, so if you come on Sunday night, we've been having some really good conversations, have some really good questions that are coming up. And we talked about this a little bit last week. But in the Old Testament, people were saved, and we know that sins have to be washed by sacrificial blood. So lambs, sheep, goats, that what, that's what was being sacrificed in the Old Testament. Then Jesus came to be the eternal sacrifice, so we don't have to do that anymore. But it also takes a belief in the Messiah. Now we know that Messiah as Jesus. We know that Jesus came to seek and save us. We know that is Jesus. In the Old Testament, they didn't know it was Jesus because Jesus wasn't born yet, but they still believed in the Messiah. Jesus is all over the Old Testament. Every page of the Old Testament, there's parts about Jesus. There's things about Jesus. And they believed and trusted in this Messiah, though they did not know him. So we know that a belief in Jesus is the only way, he says it himself, the only way to the Father is through Jesus. So for the rest of the message, we have to remember this. We have to remember, A, God is just. He will never do anything wrong, but his word matters, and it means something. But B, we have to remember the only way that we can be in eternity with God is through Christ. There are a few tricky areas with this conversation. I'm sure some of these are already running through your heads. Again, this is going to be a little bit, this is going to be an uncomfortable day. It's not going to be like it was a couple weeks ago. Thank you all for <laughs> sticking through that. But, but this is going to be a little bit uncomfortable. Um, there are times that because of somebody's physical or mental state or because of somebody's age, they cannot form a belief. Because of somebody's physical or mental state or because of somebody's age, they cannot actually possess a belief. <laughs> this is when we have to remember and reflect on the fact that God is just. God's character is just. He can't do anything but live justly and make just decisions. And we know his heart. We know his heart for us. Usually when it comes to kids, uh, the, the response is we bring up this thing called the age of accountability. You may have heard of this, the age of accountability, uh, which this is based on a Jewish custom that boys become men at age 13, uh, and that's, 
some of, some of these faces over here like, what, 13? Yeah, I agree, 13. Um, but that's usually what we refer to, the age of accountability at 13 is when you're actually held accountable for your actions. This is actually not a biblical idea. This is something that we kind of created to comfort ourselves, to make ourselves feel okay. Uh, but it's actually not biblical. You can't find it in Scripture that it, that it refers to our beliefs. But we know that Jesus loved kids. There's parts in the New Testament where, where the disciples are actually trying to push kids away from Jesus. And he's like, uh-uh, let them come. Let the kids come to me. I want to be around them. I want to be near them. That's the heart of the Father. He understands and loves kids. But all are born into sin. The Bible says that we face God one-on-one -on -one when we die. We face God one-on-one -on -one and have to hold ourselves accountable for all of our sins. But God is just. What that means is when we get there, if we were not in a physical or mental state that we could actually make a decision and have a belief in Christ, or we were at an age that we could not actually have a belief in Christ, he's going to remember that, and he's going to hold us to that. He keeps the outside stuff. Don't let people try and trick you. People are going to try and trick you and make you think God is evil. No, Jesus is the one that called kids. He loved kids. And he is not, he's not evil, he's not crooked, but he sticks to his word. He's going to remember all the outside stuff when we face him one-on-one. -on -one. So though this question is not specifically identified in Scripture, you cannot really find the answer to this specific physical or mental incapabilities or age. You can't really find that in Scripture. We know God's heart. And we know that God loves us. And that as we face him one-on-one, -on -one, he's going to remember what was going on. The Bible actually says God knows the intentions and so God's going to look at the heart. He's going to look at the heart and figure out all the outside stuff. <laughs> so we need to remember that. But we also have to remember, if someone has a physical or mental capability of having a belief and is of age, like this man on the island that we've created, but they don't make a decision, the Bible is very, very clear on it. We're actually going to go, let's go back and focus on this man on the island. If you want to turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 18. It says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodly... Uh, with, I can't even read. What's happening? 4.0. Somebody got a 4.0 and I can't even read. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. The Bible actually says that this man on the island, this man that we've created, doesn't exist. This man that has no knowledge of God doesn't exist. And he says it's because of things that he has revealed to people. Um, God, through one way or another, has always made himself known. Uh, and part of this, you know, one thing is our conscience. We talked about this last week. You don't know a crooked line unless you know what a straight line is. You don't know wrong from right unless you know what right is. And so when God gave us a conscience... He inherently showed us that he is God and that there is God. And so just by having a conscience, we can, we can kind of infer 
that we have a creator. We also know God speaks through nature. He did it a lot. He does it all the time. He does it now. I talked about this, but when I go fishing every time, I have like just incredible times with the Lord uh, while I'm fishing. And when I catch a fish, I'm reminded, God, you're so good. Every time I reel it in, you know, he's so good. He's so faithful when he gives me that fish. But he always has spoke through nature. Noah in the ark. That's literally everything about that story is God speaking through nature. He rounded up millions of animals, okay? I don't know how many animals. I don't know how math works, but he rounded up a lot of animals and got them on this boat. Some of you are thinking, like, this morning I couldn't get my dog, like, to come in from out. I'm watching, so I'm watching my sister's dog, okay? And he's super cute. His name is Max. He's actually here in Kwana. I did not, not in the church. Y'all are like, where? No, he's in Kwana. And he's super cute. But this morning, I'm standing at, at the back porch. I'm just waiting for him to go to the bathroom. And he is finished going to the bathroom. And we're just having a stare down, me and Max. Like just, I'm like, come on, let's, let's go inside. And he's just, he's just standing there, just doing absolutely nothing. Just staring right back at me. Like, Max, come on, let's go. Nothing. Can't get his dog to move anything. God, the king of the universe, corrals all these animals at the same time. To get on a boat, that is literally only could be possible by God <laughs> because animals are impossible. We know this happens. We know that then later in the story, God speaks to Noah through a dove. We know God speaks to Abraham and Isaac through an animal. All of it, God can speak through nature. He knows what he's doing. He can speak through nature. He, Jesus says in Luke that, that he can even get the rocks to cry out if he has to. He can get the rocks to cry out. So the Bible says that men are without excuse, and it's not just talking about men, it's talking about humanity. Humanity is without excuse for denying God because he will always make himself known. By one way or another, he will make himself known. We're at this point in the message where it's very uncomfortable, okay? But we're almost to the home run. We're almost to, like, you need to get your pen out. Like, start getting it out right now. We know that God is just. Everything he does is just. He will only act justly. We know that people that have physical or mental incapabilities because like, uh, of something that happened or because of their age, to have a belief, we know that God handles this on an individual basis. He sees all the outside factors. He sees that. But we also know that those who are somewhere that they've not heard the gospel, somewhere that have not heard the gospel, and they die, we know there's one way to enter eternity with Christ. And that's through Him. That's through belief in Him. So if someone's standing on this island, this island that doesn't exist because God always makes Himself known through our conscience, through nature, through something, if they're standing on this island they die and they don't know Jesus, they don't get to be in eternity with God because there's one way, and it's through Christ. Now that we're all like super sad, here's the kicker. Romans chapter 10 Verse 12, this changes everything. This, this has to change the way that you live by reading it. Romans chapter 10, verse 12. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same, God, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Watch this. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how then can they believe in one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? 
And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. This lays it out very, very simply. Like Paul is writing and he's just like, I need to make this as easy as possible. So he breaks it down. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Every single person who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call unless they believe? So we narrow it down. How can they call unless they believe? How can they believe unless they've heard? How can they hear unless somebody's telling them? How can somebody tell them if no one's being sent? Here's what you need to write down. We are God's plan A, and there's no plan B. We are God's plan A, and there's no plan B. We are God's plan A for reaching the lost. We're God's plan A for going to the island where this man is and helping him come to know Jesus. There's no plan B. We are God's plan A. Reaching the lost, that's on us. Going to these far off places, that's on us. I'm going to read some statistics. Uh, These are from Joshua Project. Um, Joshua Project is a group that studies the unreached, that studies those who have not heard the name of Jesus. They say there are 17,070 people groups on the earth. Okay, a little bit over 17,000. People groups meaning not nations, but people that are defined by their own language and their own culture. Okay, and by the way, anytime you see the word nations in the New Testament, this is the word it's talking about. People groups. It's not talking about countries. It's talking about individual groups of people. In Revelations, when it talks about all nations will be surrounding the throne singing, It's talking about all people groups. There will be a representative of all people groups at the throne of God. There's 17,000 groups on the earth. 7,100 of them are completely unreached. 7,100 of them have never heard the name of Jesus. If you walked up and said, hey, have you heard about Jesus? They would literally have, have no idea what you were saying. That is 40%. 40% of the world's people groups have never heard the name of Jesus. 1,200 are what they call minimally reached, which means they've heard the name of Jesus, but they can tell you nothing about him. Yes, I, I know Jesus. He, he lives down the street. No, they, they know of the name. They don't know who or what he did. Minimally reached. That's 10%. I'm sorry, that's 7%. And then 1,800 are what's called superficially reached. And that means they can tell you the general gist of Jesus but they don't know much more than that. That means that over half of the world's people groups have little to no understanding of who Christ is. And if they don't know Christ, they can't be set free. If they don't know Christ, they can't enter eternity with God. If they don't know Christ, nothing that we have as followers of Jesus, the peace that we get to walk in, the hope that we get to walk in, the joy, they don't get to walk in that. Not because they said no, but because they didn't have a choice. They didn't even have the opportunity. There's over 3 billion people on the earth that don't know Jesus because they don't have a choice. In America, in, in, in Bible Belt, Texas, it's so comfortable to think that that number doesn't exist, that over half of the world not knowing Jesus doesn't exist. There has not been a day of my life that I didn't know the name of Jesus. My parents spoken over me when I was in the womb. I was born on the pew. Here we are. 
My whole life I've known the name of Jesus. My whole life I've known what he did. Because we are in Texas, we are in Bible Belt, Texas. There is people that don't know the name of Jesus, let alone the power of the name of Jesus. Let alone the power of what he did. There's people that are dying that don't know the name of Jesus. Over three billion people on the earth have never heard his name. And then often we're comfortable thinking, well, well, missions and, and reaching the lost, that's just, that's just not really for me. And if that's you, it's okay, but we're going to read Scripture because it's going to tell you otherwise. Matthew chapter 28, you don't have to turn here, I'll read it. 28 verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You'll know what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, if you are of this age, if you're in between this age and this age, go and make disciples. If you, have, if you make between this much money and this much money, go and make disciples. If you are of this race or this race to go and make disciples, this gender, this gender, no. He said, go. He didn't list any socioeconomic factors. He didn't list any qualifications. He said, go. So really what we have to realize is it's not a matter of if we go and make disciples. It's a matter of where we go and make disciples. Where we go and make disciples. Some are genuinely called to reach right here in Quanta, Texas. The Lord has called people to reach. There is lost people in Quanta, Texas. There is. Some have been called to reach Dallas, Fort Worth. Dallas, Fort Worth needs Jesus. I read a study the other day that said 80% of Dallas is evangelized. 80% of Dallas knows Jesus. But let me tell you what. The stuff that goes on in Dallas, they need him. They need him bad. Okay. Some are called to work in, in Los Angeles with the largest homeless population in America. It's right there. Some are called to work with them. Tell them about Jesus. But could it be that God is rising up the church, raising up the church to reach people in Bangladesh and in Iraq? Could it be that God is calling people to reach those that have never heard? Could it be that he loves us so much and he loves them so much that he's sending people? He said, all nations must know the gospel. We see this in Revelations, that all people groups will be represented in the throne of God. All people groups will be represented there. We're not even halfway there. We are not even halfway there. This should create some kind of urgency within the church. When I say church, big capital C, the church, all Christians, we should have some kind of urgency. And here's the reality. When people die and they haven't heard the gospel of Jesus, they haven't heard the truth of the gospel of Jesus, they do not get to spend eternity with God, and it's not on Him, it's on us. It's not on Him. He didn't do anything wrong. It's not His fault. It's the church we are supposed to go. We are supposed to reach the lost. We are supposed to disciple nations. We should feel a burden for the lost. We should feel hurt for the lost. 
We should feel hurt for the fact that there's people that are dying and not getting to spend eternity with God because they haven't heard. We don't have to carry this burden alone. That's, there's some comfort in that. We don't have to carry this burden alone. There is a giant church that's out here trying to reach the lost. But that can't be used as an excuse to not do what he said. Relying on the fact that there are others doing things can't be used as an excuse. It can't. Here's the reality. We have to hold ourselves accountable to God too. And when we stand in front of God's throne and he says, hey, in Matthew 28, I told you to go and make disciples. What did you do? I don't want him to look at me and be like, Landon, you, you didn't make disciples. Like, Landon, you didn't, you didn't care. I don't want that to be the conversation I have with God. I want me to, to get up to God, and he's like, Landon, you have no idea the impact on the kingdom of heaven you had. And I would be willing to say that most of you in here would be willing, wanting that same thing, to enter, into the he- to enter into heaven and look at God, and he's like, people are here, people are saved, people know me because of what you did and because of the way that you lived. <clears throat> so we can sleep at night. We can sleep at night comfortably, but we should wake up with urgency, realizing there are lost. We can share this burden with people, but we should have some sense of urgency. Again, often we think, well, well, missions isn't for me, or, or, or reaching the lost isn't for me. And actually, if you're not, you're doing the exact opposite of what Jesus told you to do. The exact opposite. It's not a matter of if you make disciples. It's not a matter of if you go. It's a matter of where you go, where you make disciples. I know this is not a popular concept to talk about in church. I know that this is probably super uncomfortable. I'm a little bit uncomfortable. But Mark Batterson, he's a pastor at a church in Washington, D.C., and he says this, God didn't design you to be safe. He designed you to be dangerous. You have capabilities. You have characteristics inside of you that God gave you so that you could be dangerous to the plans of the enemy. You could be dangerous to what he's doing. We have that capability. God didn't design us to be safe and comfortable. He designed us to make a difference. That's the difference between us and rocks, by the way. I know I said there's no plan B, and you're thinking, well, what about rocks and nature? Well, here's the thing. God didn't design the rocks to cry out, but they can if he makes them. God did design you to cry out. Our purpose is to go and make disciples so that we can be in relationship with God. That's not a sheep's purpose. That's not a tree's purpose. But he's all-powerful. If he wants to do it, he can. But we are plan A, and there's no plan B. In fact, what you can see is Jesus, he didn't serve as the first missionary. People usually say that was Abraham. But, but Jesus served as the first missionary knowing who the Messiah was. He served as the first missionary of his own gospel. Uh, he left his perfect heavenly home and came to the most broken place in the universe because he loved who was here. He had everything. When I, when I started doing missions, uh, I remember thinking, I don't want to do that at all. Like, I loved loving people, but I also loved sleeping on a bed. I also loved having good food to eat. And then when the Lord kind of directed me to where I was in the Middle East, I remember thinking, I'm, I'm sleeping on a, on a bed of hay on the ground. There's rats running across while I'm sleeping. 
Like, I'm eating rice four meals a day. Four meals a day, by the way. Let me tell you what. This is, this, this is free. In Europe and a lot of parts of the Middle East, they eat four meals a day. When are we moving? Let's go. Let's pack up. But those four meals a day are usually the same thing. And I remember thinking, like, well, this isn't comfortable. This isn't comfortable. But then I got to remember, Jesus had everything in heaven, everything he could have possibly wanted, perfect peace, perfect hope, perfect joy all the time, and he sacrificed it for us. Christians means little Christ. We are imitating Christ. We are being little Christ. And if we really want to be little Christs, we have to go. We have to reach the lost. We have to disciple nations. We have to disciple people. Now, here's something comforting. Uh, There are missionaries going. There are people serving. I'm going to read you some more statistics. Uh, This is from Reality Global. They do a lot of really good work. Uh, They say there are 400,000 missionaries that are serving right now. 400,000. That's a lot, and that's amazing. But of those 400,000, this is going to blow you away. Of those 400,000, 3% are serving the 40% who've never heard about Jesus. 3% of the 400,000 people are serving the 40% that have never heard. The other 97% of missionaries are serving in places that Jesus has already known. There's already churches, there's already Bibles, there's already discipleship. That's needed too. People need to have people to walk with them in discipleship. But 3% serving almost 3 billion people There's an imbalance. There's something that's wrong there. If you look at church resources, it's the same way. Um, Ooh, I'm going slow. Here we go. We're going to speed this up, all right? Some of y'all are looking at your watch. Landon. (laughs) All right, church resources is the same way. A lot of the questions were about tithe, okay? So we're going to get really more uncomfortable than we already are. I'm going to talk about tithe for two minutes. Two-minute tithe, all right? I'm going to do a video called that, two-minute tithe. The Bible says you are supposed to tithe. Tithe literally means Tenth, okay? Tithe translates to tenth. Tithe and offering are two separate things. Tithe is a tenth. Offering is anything on top of that, okay? So tithe, you're supposed to give 10%. Biblically, you can see over and over again that God blesses that. But you know what else he blesses? The first fruits of your tithe. We know Cain killed Abel. Do we know why Cain killed Abel? Because God chose Abel's blessing over Cain's. Because Abel gave his first fruits. So what this means is you get paid. The first thing you do should be tithe. And here's why. It's easy to give. It's easy to give to what God is doing after the bills have been paid, after everything's covered. It's easy to give. It's a lot harder to give when you have no idea how the bills are going to be paid, but you know God said to give. Way harder to give. But here's the thing. God does say test him, and he will always show up. He will always show up. So tithe. And I'm going to say this real fast. It's not like we're taking up a special offering. Some of you are like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. No, not doing that at all. And here's the thing. God can reach people without your money, okay? I'm going to say that, and I'm getting some some eye, eye rolls, but here's the thing. God has all the money in the world. Even your money is his money. He has a way of funding things, okay? So he's not strictly dependent on your money, But your faith and your trust will grow exponentially when you give and he shows up. 
When you have no idea how the bills are going to be paid, but you remember to give to God, he's going to show up. Okay, so that's, that's just a quick thing on tithe. Now, speaking of tithe, <laughs> 2% of Christians' budget is going to, to the church. 2%, statistically, of Christians' budgets are going to the church. Remember, tithe, 10%. But it shows 2%. Of that 2%, 7% is going to missions. 7% of the 2% of the whole, okay? We're getting really, really small here. And of that, one one-hundredth is going to reach the 3 billion people that have never heard the name of Jesus. I'm gonna, we're going to break this down as a, as a math equation to make this a little bit more real. Let's say you make $100 a week. I'm only saying that because it's easy to do math. $100 a week. Statistically, you would give $2 to the church. Of that, 14 cents would go to missions. And of that, 0. .00014 would go to the 3 billion people that have never heard about Jesus. 0. .00014 of a penny. Less than a hundredth of a penny is going if you make $100. Statistically, there's an imbalance there's an imbalance in the way that, we, that we're doing missions because there's people that don't know about Jesus and they're dying and they're not having the chance to have an interaction with Jesus because people aren't going, we are God's plan A and we have to take it seriously. God can use the rocks. He said he, he, said he would. I'll, if, if no one else will do it, I'll make the rocks do it. He said it. But that's not why the rocks were created. The rocks don't have to look at God face to face and answer as to why they didn't make disciples. Why? Because that's not why they were here. We, on the other hand, when we stand and look at God face to face, we have to say, I made disciples, God. I reached the nations, God. I loved people. I discipled people. And if we didn't, we have to answer for that as well. Rocks don't. Sheep don't. Henry Martin, he's a missionary in India, he says, uh, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. We must reach people with the gospel. We must disciple nations. It's looking like Christ. It's resembling Christ when we do that. And it's his commandment to us. Now, here's the thing. There are many ways that you can do this. Um, and I'm wrapping up. I know some of you, I'm running late, sorry, but I'm wrapping up. There are many ways that you can be a part of this, okay? Because I'm saying this, you don't need to go home and put a for sale sign in your yard and, and, honey, we're moving to, no, you don't need to do that. Unless right now the Lord told you to, and I just confirmed it, in which case, absolutely, you need to do that. Go ahead. First thing you have to do is figure out where the Lord is calling you to minister, where the Lord is calling you to make disciples, because he is calling you. He already called you. But you have to figure out, is it here in Kwana? Is it in Chillicothe? Is it in Dallas-Fort Worth? Is it in Los Angeles? Is it in Qatar? Who knows what he's saying? First thing is figure out where. Other things. There's so many different ways that you can be a part of what God is doing. One or two. I don't know how many I'm at. Taking trips. In a few weeks, we're taking a mission trip to, to Arizona, and we're going to get to love on some people, and there's several here that are going. I'm going to be a part of it. We have Dakota, who's, are you 15? 15 years old and going to tell people about Jesus. And then we have as old as, as, well, 
I don't know who the oldest person going is, but we'll say for reference, David Smith, First Baptist. He's going. So we have this age gap. God doesn't care how old you are. He wants you to make disciples. He wants you to reach people. This is a big age gap. You can take little trips like this. The trip is $200. It's not too late to sign up. If you want to sign up, you can come talk to me at some point. But also, there's some people that are called specifically to financially support missions organizations. Jesus had these people in his life. Jesus had people in his life that their purpose for being next to him and being alongside him was to financially support him. Okay, so maybe that's what the Lord's calling you to do. Maybe the Lord's saying, you just should support what's going on. You should support Joshua Project and Reality Global, these people that are out there reaching. (coughs) You can support individuals. There's so many people that are going that need support. Or maybe the Lord is saying, we're going places. (laughs) There was a family in Abilene uh, just a couple of years ago, a uh, uh, husband and a, and, a, and a wife and three kids, and they woke up in the middle of the night one night and said, I think we're supposed to move, I'm not going to say where because we're on Facebook, but we're supposed to move somewhere in the Middle East, a specific country. Christians are martyred there all the time. We're supposed to move there. We're supposed to go there. Of course they didn't want to. <laughs> of course the first thought was, how can I get out of this? <laughs> Uh, Lord, not t- maybe tomorrow, I don't know. You know. They're automatically thinking through these things. So they, kept, they said no, they said no, they said no. They kept saying no. The Lord kept pushing it, kept pushing it. Ended up, they moved. They moved. They packed up their family, all their things, moved to this Middle Eastern nation. And the underground church there is rising up. They're seeing believers come out of nowhere. They're seeing so many followers of Christ rising up out of this place that there was none. Because this couple was willing to say, yes, we will follow the call of the Lord on our life. We will listen to his commandments. We will follow him. God didn't design you to be safe. He designed you to be dangerous. How the Lord specifically wants to use you and your family, I have no idea. That is up to you and him to decide. But what I know is this. He is wanting to use you and he is wanting to use your family. So we have to figure out where we are to minister, not if we are to minister. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for your heart for people. We thank you that you always love people. You love the person on the island that's never heard. You love us in this room. You love those in the Middle East and Eastern nations and in Europe. Lord, we thank you that you love us so fiercely that you would be creating people to go and tell others. Father, I pray that today, if there's areas in our life where we're not completely surrendered to your will and completely surrendered to your guidance, Lord, I pray that you would bring that to our mind. And I pray, most of all, that you would light a fire underneath us, that you would light a fire underneath us to reach the lost. Lord, maybe it's the, maybe it's the checkout person at United. Who knows? Maybe it's a trucker at Love's we're supposed to go talk to. Who knows what it is? But I pray that you would light a fire that we would be stirred up to reach the lost, to disciple people. God, you are good and you are faithful, and we thank you that you spoke it to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.